You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother, Jonah. And we are so excited to have you hear the latest season of our nostalgia-themed podcast, How Did We Get Weird? Not only do you get to know me and my brother, you get to know the stories that made us the absolutely rad people we are today. Check out our episodes where we've welcomed hilarious guests like our friend Andy Samberg. That's it. That's really it. And Queen Casey Wilson. I really went cart before the horse. I said, I think I have an opportunity to interview Leonardo DiCaprio (laughs) as a high school student. And you do not want to miss out on our funny segments like (laughs) Change.Dork. Change.Dork. And congratulations. You played yourself. Congratulations. You played yourself. Listen to our podcast, How Did We Get Weird, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Professional dancer Cheryl Burke has been part of Dancing with the Stars since the very beginning. 26 seasons of the Samba, the Rumba, and the Cha-Cha. 24 partners, 6 finals, and 2 Mirabal trophies. She knows all the secrets, the -the behind-the-scenes arguments, and the affairs, the flings, the flirting, and the fighting. Listen to Sex, Lies, and Spray Tans on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ridiculous News is a production of iHeartRadio and Cool 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 Audio. With amazing and crazy topics to pick and to choose, you are now tuned in to Ridiculous News. With interesting views on breaking the rules of broadcasting and all sorts of wild reports to keep us laughing. With funny off-brand, upbeat journalism, the strange and unusual stories of what we give them. When it's all about ridiculous news everywhere, we talking about ridiculous news over here. Hey everyone, welcome to Ridiculous News, not your average news show. We cover stuff you didn't realize was news, from the wild and funny to the deep and hidden to the absolutely ridiculous. I'm Mark Kendall, I'm an Atlanta-based comedian, and it's my joy to welcome you to our weekly roundup episode where we take some of the weirdest stories in the news and dive a little deeper into them. As always, we might have a few guests uh, or characters that pop in along the way. Uh, Bill's away today, but I am joined by my incredible guest co-host, Marietta Mendler. Marietta is a brilliant comic and actor. She performs all over Atlanta and beyond. You can follow her on IG, at Mar- Marionetta. Welcome, Marietta. So great to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. Absolutely. Uh, Marietta, as we do with all of our guests, uh, we're going to start things off with a segment called Giving Them Their Flowers. This is a moment where I give you a compliment. The only rule is you can't return the compliment. You just got to take the flowers. Uh, So Marietta, uh, something that I just really enjoy about you so much uh, is your stage presence, specifically uh, the way you perform stand-up comedy. I think it's so hilarious in fact you were you were indulging me before telling me some of your newest bits and it's really great and something that i really enjoy about you that not everyone can do as a stand-up is like the way that you use improvisation in such a great way so you know you might even have a place that you want to go but you are open to improvising and having the set go whatever direction it ends up going and i am so impressed by that every time i see it and we actually talk about improv a little later in the episode so i'll love to get your thoughts on that uh soon so anyway thank you for being you thank you so much 
It's Absolutely. Amazing. So, Marietta, we'll kick things off uh, with some ridiculous news nibbles. Uh, so these are a couple quick ridiculous stories that happened recently. So up first, uh, this is a holiday-themed headline, and this is from Frank Witzel uh, for the Detroit Free Press. And the headline reads, Man dressed as Grinch accused of punching guy in reindeer costume at Up North Party. Right? <laughs> so this, <laughs> this article is really something. So two men, both in their 30s, attended a work-related holiday party in costumes recently at Hotel Indigo in Traverse City, Michigan. Uh, things got heated where there was an argument. Uh, this is, a, I guess, a little bit before midnight that this happened. Uh, it turned violent, police said, when the Grinch took a swing at the reindeer. So Traverse City Police Department Captain Keith Gillis said that the fight certainly was not in the spirit of Christmas. Yeah, I, I believe that. Uh, the police who were called to the hotel to break up the brawl, uh, arrested the man dressed as the Grinch, the grumpy, green, pot-bellied character in the How the Grinch Stole Christmas, uh, written by Dr. Seuss, uh, that has also appeared in many films, also the well-known song. Uh, so, yeah. So that's what the article says. Uh, pretty pretty wild, don't you think, Marietta? That is wild. I wonder if he knew that if it was just like a reflection of his mood when he put on the outfit. Like, would he have put on a Santa outfit if he was doing better? Um, that's a great, that's a great point. Like when you put on that Grinch suit, are people like, oh, snap, it's the Grinch here to be a Grinch. Does that like, you want kind of like dressing for the job you want, not the job you have kind of thing? Yes. Yes. I wonder if like before he put on the outfit, he was doing fine. And then everyone told him he was awful. And then he was like, you know, what's awful? This fist. Um... (laughs) You know what would be an interesting experiment, just hearing you say this, is like next year, same party, same situation, same two guys, but you have them switch costumes and see, do you get a different result? Hey, I really like that. And I wonder what would happen if he was wearing the Grinch costume outside of the Christmas holiday. You know, maybe it's extra powerful at a holiday party. Right. Like, so for example, if he got, let's say the fight didn't happen, but he was in costume his Grinch essence was brought out, right? He leaves the party. Does he start stealing Christmas trees that are out on display on the street? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, That's a good question. Mm -hmm. So many questions for this man. What's his phone number? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, WBPN-TV in Traverse City and a local Michigan media company, M Live, also gave an account of the incident. And M Live ended its report noting... And this is a quote from the report that I thought was kind of funny. Police believe the incident was fueled by alcohol consumption and not the size of either man's heart, which I thought was a <laughs> pretty good reference to the Grinch story. I was pretty So, good. yeah. Well, uh, Marietta, this next headline I know uh, you're excited about. This is from CNN by Christian Edwards. And the headline reads, Goblin Mode has been chosen as Oxford Word of the Year for 2022. The article goes on to say that according to Oxford University Press, publishers behind the Oxford English Dictionary, uh, the slang term goblin mode, uh, which was chosen by the public as the 2022 Oxford Word of the Year, and it refers to a type of behavior which is, quote, unapologetically self-indulgent, lazy, slovenly, or greedy, typically in a way that rejects social norms or expectations. Traits that may have become familiar to many during the lockdown. And that's from the article. So pretty cool that this word won word of the year. Yeah, I 
wild that it wasn't in there before. Um, so exciting that the <laughs> Oxford University Press is catching up to society. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know yeah. that we could vote on the words, that we had that power. So, yeah, so it's interesting that you mentioned that. So Casper uh, Grathwall, who's the president of OUP's Oxford Languages, said in a press release that the, quote, level of engagement with the campaign caught us totally by surprise. Uh, They went on to say, given the year we've just experienced, Goblin Mode resonates with all of us who are feeling a little overwhelmed at this point. It's a relief to acknowledge that we're not always idealized, curated selves that we're encouraged to present on our Instagram and TikTok feeds, he said. Uh, People are embracing their inner goblin, and voters choosing Goblin Mode as the word of the year tells us the concept is likely here to stay. And I think it also seems to be the first year that this... uh, award or this word of the year contest was chosen by the public for the first time. So I guess maybe previously it was maybe an invite only situation. I don't know what they used to do, but. (laughs) That is just so heartwarming that we get to be in goblin mode and it gets to be approved by Oxford. So fancy, so regal, uh, the regalist (laughs) goblins. Uh, (laughs) I love it. I love it. I love saying that you're in goblin mode, even if you're just in pajamas, you know? I feel like my bar for what I qualify as me being a goblin is very low. I could be (laughs) a goblin now, and I'm wearing buttons on my shirt. That's not, that's kind of fancy for a goblin. (laughs) I, I, I like the idea of a fancy goblin. That's just a funny concept to me. You know what I mean? Like, Gallimon, I love it. Uh, so this next headline is from Atlanta Black Star by Rachel George. And the headline I thought was pretty interesting. So uh, the headline is this. I'm looking for people that smell like weed. Uh, Pastor Jamal Bryant wants to grow and sell cannabis at New Birth Church in Atlanta to bring in more males. Uh, so this was over an interview. So this was during a sit down on the Cool Soror podcast with Roshana Lee. And so Jamal Bryant, who's the pastor of New Birth Missionary Baptist Church in Atlanta, said, I'm looking for people that smell like me. Uh, The article goes on to say that Ali was a bit taken aback, uh, you know, because it's like, that's not something you hear people say, pastor or not, very often. You know what I mean? Um, Anyway, but he went on to explain that he wants to create a program or a system in the church that allows black males to work uh, legally in this business. Um, So they went on to say that, so my position to my deacons is, why are we not raising cannabis, he asked. I'll be able to bring in black males that are able to do it legally. I'm teaching them farming. I'm helping them to enhance the ecosystem. This is the kind of conversation. So that was their quote there. Um, I thought, I mean, like, it is kind of like surprising to hear someone's, like a pastor say, like, I'm looking for people to smell like weed. However, like the legal raising of cannabis so that people can benefit, especially those that otherwise were, you know, uh, unnecessarily or uh, over punished or whatever for that, uh, black people in in, in particular, uh, I think it'd be great if there was a way uh, for them to find employment that way. Absolutely. And then that makes going to church that much more fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I feel like it'll help. Uh, it, it helps both sides. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I agree. So a promo video for this interview was posted 
on Instagram. And our incredible researcher, Casey, found this. So the comment section had all kinds of stuff, as you can imagine, right? Um, and so there were some that maybe agreed with it, some maybe that were, you know, had mixed feelings about bringing this type of business into the church space. Uh, but anyway, Casey pulled a comment from the comment section that read, so y'all going to play with the most high by getting the most high? And I thought, that's a, some... That's a great line right there. Pretty good. We're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European political systems class at Baruch College. Woo! Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it. That's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. It's like reality TV on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. And looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Martha Stewart, and we're back with a new season of my podcast, This season will be even more revealing and more personal with more entrepreneurs, more trailblazers, more live events, more Martha, and more questions from you. I'm talking to my cosmetic dermatologist, Dr. Dan Belkin, about the secrets behind my skincare. Walter Isaacson, about the geniuses who change the world. Encore Jane, about creating a billion-dollar startup. Dr. Elisa Pressman about the five basic strategies to help parents raise good humans. Florence Fabricant about the authenticity in the world of food writing. Be sure to tune in to season two of the Martha Stewart podcast. Listen and subscribe to the Martha Stewart podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Shannon Doherty, host of the new podcast, Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty. You may know me from, let's see, 90210, Charmed, Mallrats, Heathers. Probably also know me from my stage four cancer diagnosis and sharing that journey with so many of you. There's something so authentic about a podcast. It's me connecting, me talking raw in the moment. That's what my goal is to give you to talk about why I feel that cancer to a certain extent is a gift, what my responsibilities are as a person with cancer, because I think that there's something so much bigger than me. And to be honest, I'm still trying to find out what that is. And maybe together we'll find it. It's going to be a wild ride. So I hope that you all tune in. Listen to Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. With amazing and crazy topics to pick and to choose, you are now tuned in to Ridiculous News.
All right, y'all. So we're back with our weekly roundup. Uh, we're going to hop into our main story for the day. Uh, I'm joined by my guest co-host, Marietta. It's so great to have you here, uh, especially for this article we're going to talk about next. So uh, I talked earlier about how you're such a great improviser, not just like in an improv setting, but on stand-up stages as well. And so this article came from NPR, and it's by Alowakemi Aladusi, as well as Audrey Wen. And the headline is, How to Apply the Rules of Improv to Everyday Life. And so this is from their Life Kit uh, section. And the article starts off by saying, it turns out there are several uh, mental health benefits of performing improv. And so according to a 2020 study that was published in the journal Thinking Skills and Creativity, researchers found that doing just 20 minutes of improv a day can increase creativity, decrease social anxiety, and increase our ability to tolerate uncertainty. Which is pretty cool. Not surprising, but cool to see that this research is being done. Yeah, we should have all been doing so much more improv uh, in 2020, apparently. Um, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, soon. so the article kind of breaks down five rules from improv. So, Marietta, if you're cool with it, I was just going to share one with you and then just kind of get your thoughts on it, if that's cool. I love it. Yeah. Great. Awesome. So rule number one that they lay out, and this is the one that you kind of see the most if you've ever taken an improv class or read an improv book, and it is the rule of yes and. Uh, and so yes and, I suppose it has a couple different definitions, but generally how I've heard it explained is if you're improvising with someone or even by yourself, if an idea gets thrown out there, the idea is that you acknowledge it or affirm it. And then you and, you yes and, you add something to that idea. Um, what, how, how do you kind of like interpret yes and in your life? It could be on stage or off. What's, what's yes and mean to you, Marietta? I really like how it's entered the public uh, zeitgeist and that you can just be like, oh, I'm just going to uh, yes and this um, and uh, just mean that you're going, you're down for the adventure of whatever is happening, whether it's... Um, uh, actually a true adventure and a friend being like, let's get on a boat. Or if it's uh, a difficult customer at a coffee shop uh, who's yeah. uh, like has lots of demands and then you're just like, okay, okay. and uh, how else can I help you? You know? Um, yeah. So it just helps you be open-minded no matter what the context of the situation is, which I think is super helpful. That's really great. That's really great. Uh, you know, something from the article that they shared that I thought was good, I'll read here. Uh, it says, in life, we have a tendency to say no. Uh, it's easier than trying to listen and understand what someone else is asking of us. For example, we often say no to new ideas because we are afraid of uncertainty. But the idea of yes and uh, gives us a moment to pause, listen, and create something new from what someone is offering. And so that is from... Uh, someone that was being quoted in the article, uh, last name Drinko, is their, is their name there. So uh, the next rule that they break down is uh, embrace mistakes. Embrace mistakes. So, Marietta, how, do, you, do you embrace mistakes? Is that something that you find you do on stage, off stage? Yeah, I do feel like I'm making them uh, quite often. And then, uh, but also that you're like, it's okay, we're going to uh, pick up our feet and and move on with the scene or move on with the moment i feel like i 
often make the mistake of, of being late somewhere because I booked myself to be five different places all at the same time. Um, but then isn't that just a fun new adventure to figure out how you're going to get five places in one time? Um, yeah. or, um, when if you, it helps you able to be like, okay, well, I can understand why I made this mistake and, um, give yourself a little bit of grace, which I think is important. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I'll teach improv on occasion and a game I really love to do with folks that are strangers or it actually doesn't matter if they're strangers or not, but just a way that I enjoy whenever I'm starting to work with folks in the improv space is there's an exercise like I like to do where basically what ends up happening is one at a time, each person shares the time that they made a mistake in their life. And it doesn't have to be, it could be a small mistake. It could be a big mistake, whatever. And after they share this mistake, everyone gives them a round of applause. And what I like about it is that, you know, you get embraced for being vulnerable, you know, <laughs> and then most often what happens is that, when people share a time that they messed up or something that they're embarrassed by, everybody else has like at least a moment in their life when they did the same thing. And I think it's helpful because, you know, understandably in life, like you make a mistake, it does cause embarrassment and you might want to hide it. But depending on what the mistake is, it's not as helpful if you hide it, if you get it out in the open, it makes it a little easier to deal with, you know. And I do understand there's complications. But generally speaking, you know, if we can be open with our mistakes with one another, it can make it easier to fix them, you know. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this next uh, improv rule that they share in the article is uh, don't shy away from yourself. Um, and Mary, I'm really interested to see if you have any thoughts on this one, uh, mostly because I feel like, you know, of the comics that I see perform, you are so like completely yourself at all times. And I mean that in the best way possible. It's just like, it's like, I see you and it's just like, whoa, that's someone that knows who they are on stage and they're able to be that at all times, you know, and it's really cool to see. I'm just curious though, for yourself, when you hear the phrase, don't shy away from yourself. What's that? What's that mean to you? Thank you so much. Uh, everyone, that means so much. That's so kind. The, um, I think that it is so funny that sometimes when you're doing improv or comedy on stage, if sometimes if I'm trying to be someone that's really removed from myself, nobody believes me. Uh, they're like, what mm. are you talking about? Um, and then, and then it's just like, oh, you know, they believe me when I'm being authentic and honest. And that's something to, to stick by. Um, and I think that, yeah, I, I was never someone who like went away from school for the summer. And then was able to come back and be like, oh, wow, Marietta 2.0. I feel like <laughs> um, that ha that version has not been released. So the, <laughs> <laughs> we've just been bopping along. And, yeah. um, and I'm so grateful that improv gives you the space to be yourself. And maybe it gives you like a little bit more uh, bravery to do that. Because if you're like, if I can do this in front of strangers, then I can do it in front of uh coworkers and friends and staff. Absolutely. I agree. You know, something that I feel like I've learned from watching improv, getting the chance to perform it sometimes is sometimes you might play a character, but other times you kind of just have to think about like, what would I do in this moment? You know, <laughs> while it doesn't have to be comedic, a lot of times it can be. And sometimes the most straightforward way to being, uh, you know, your best comedic self 
is just like responding in the moment as you actually would. And so you learn that you get, I mean, there's a common phrase, there's a book with the same title, the idea of truth and comedy. I feel like you could also say like honesty and comedy, yeah. you know? And so there's an honesty in being yourself. And I've never necessarily, and I don't think that has to mean like, you, you know, you're sharing your diary with the audience. I mean, you could do that, but I think it just makes, it just means like coming from a true place, you know? And I think people pick up on that on stage, like you said, or referenced earlier, or just like in everyday life, you know? Yeah. And you can be coming from that true place when you're a character too. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really yeah. fun. I feel like, yeah, your your characters are the best. And I think oh. Professor Improv also comes from a very true place, I'm sure. That's true. Professor Improv is a uh, is an improviser in Atlanta. Very, very old. I don't know how old he is, but he goes around teaching improv. Very interesting guy. I haven't seen him in a little bit, but he's out there somewhere. Um, so the last rule that this article shared was uh, rule number five, make room for play. Uh, so the article goes on to say that uh, improv is play. We make up games, laugh at absurd scenarios, pretend we are different characters, heighten funny patterns, and let loose. Uh, improv can create the structure to be silly without real harmful consequences. Uh, it's a very healing thing to do. Uh, so what, 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 are your, what are your thoughts on that, like bringing play either to life or to performance? I think it, it's uh, so important. It makes it so much more enjoyable to look at like the, the fun moments that you can create or treasure um, 110%. And isn't that the, the best part of sometimes hanging out with friends is doing bits and playing games together in a <laughs> casual way? Yeah. And then you're yeah, just yeah. like... Uh, we're okay with sharing this part in front of an audience. Um, mm-hmm. and so, and I do think that like everyone can do it. Um, cause everyone makes people laugh at, at different, uh, parties or gatherings in some way, shape or form. So, um, yeah, but it's cool to think intentionally about it. I agree. I think that's a great point, Marietta. I, I think too, like, as far as like a sense of play goes, you know, um, I associate that with, like, I think it's like a healthy way in, in, in to, like, stay in touch with some sort of, like, childlike version of yourself. And I don't mean, like, childlike in terms of immature. I just mean, like, childlike in terms of, like, youthful. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, and uh, I think improv is one of those things where I think it's tough to do improv well and not have a good time. So in a weird way, improv teaches you how to have fun, you know, like, Mm -hmm. or it can help remind you how to make a situation fun. And that doesn't have to be bad, you know? And -hmm. I think that there are moments where in life, if you want to, you can choose to make it fun. You can choose to bring joy to something. And not like in a silly, irresponsible way, but I think like in a defiant way, you know, you can be like, I'm going to choose to make this thing joyful. I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose to enjoy this moment. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And that, like, once you kind of are saying, "Let's have fun in this moment," you give permission to people around you to also have a fun time. We'll be right back with more ridiculous news after this short break. I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? Yes. This is a show about women. 
Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European Political Systems class at Baruch College. Woo! Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it. That's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. It's like reality TV on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. And looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Martha Stewart, and we're back with a new season of my podcast, This season will be even more revealing and more personal with more entrepreneurs, more trailblazers, more live events, more Martha, and more questions from you. I'm talking to my cosmetic dermatologist, Dr. Dan Belkin, about the secrets behind my skincare. Walter Isaacson, about the geniuses who change the world. Encore Jane, about creating a billion-dollar startup. Dr. Elisa Pressman about the five basic strategies to help parents raise good humans. Florence Fabricant about the authenticity in the world of food writing. Be sure to tune in to season two of the Martha Stewart podcast. Listen and subscribe to the Martha Stewart podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Shannon Doherty, host of the new podcast, Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty. You may know me from, let's see, 90210, Charmed, Mallrats, Heathers. You probably also know me from my stage four cancer diagnosis and sharing that journey with so many of you. There's something so authentic about a podcast. It's me connecting, me talking raw in the moment. That's what my goal is to give you to talk about why I feel that cancer to a certain extent is a gift, what my responsibilities are as a person with cancer, because I think that there's something so much bigger than me. And to be honest, I'm still trying to find out what that is. And maybe together we'll find it. It's going to be a wild ride. So I hope that you all tune in. Listen to Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You are now tuned in to Ridiculous News. All right, y'all, we're back. Uh, we got a few more stories for you. This next headline reads, Fortnite manufacturer sued by Canadian parents over games' alleged addictive properties. So this article is out at Deadline.com, uh, and I, it caught my eye uh, because, you know, I, I played a lot of video games growing up, or at least I think I played, I don't know what a lot is, but... I remember playing video games a lot uh, growing up and, um, you know, I'm sure my parents wish maybe I didn't play as much of them sometimes. I, I don't know. But anyway, in this in this particular story, uh, a group of Canadian parents are suing uh, U.S.-based Epic Games over its massive Fortnite franchise, claiming it makes children into gaming addicts who stop eating, sleeping, and showering. Um, so it was an interesting headline to me. 
So BBC News reports a Canadian Supreme Court judge has now authorized the lawsuit uh, that was filed against Fortnite's Epic Games by Quebec parents. They claim their gamers are, quote, severely dependent um, on the first-person shooter game, which has a worldwide audience of more than 80 million players. So uh, recently, the Canadian judge ruled the lawsuit was not, quote, frivolous or manifestly ill-founded. The court concludes that there is a serious issue to be argued, supported by sufficient and specific allegations as to the existence of risks or even dangers arising from the use of Fortnite. Uh, So the law firm that brought the action said Epic Games was akin to a tobacco manufacturer and claimed the legal responsibility was, quote, basically the same. I've not heard video games discussed in this way before. Have you? No, no, no. And um, it sounds like they're like, it's really, truly not our fault that we want to be on video games. It's, It's all on you. And that's interesting. It is. It is interesting. Yeah. So I guess... According to this article, the the lawsuit can move forward, um, and that was the Canadian judge said that the lawsuit can move forward, uh, and the Canadian judge said that he didn't believe the parents' claims that Epic Games intentionally made Fortnite addictive, which I think is also an interesting distinction. Mm-hmm. You know, um, however, the article goes on to say the court didn't agree with the parents' claim that Epic Games deliberately made Fortnite addictive. Uh, he added, quote, this does not exclude the possibility that the game is in fact addictive and that its designer and distributor are presumed to know it. So I guess this will be an ongoing dialogue, you know. Yeah, I wonder how they can make it more boring so that kids would want to put it down. <laughs> um, like, do they have a challenge yeah. where it's like you have to play solitaire for six hours mm-hmm. or... um what else would be maybe just run through a field for a while, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Something more relaxing. Like maybe there can be like a bedtime story segment. Um, yeah. I wonder what else yeah, they could yeah. do. We also get to hear from Epic Games in this article as well. So Epic Games denied the validity of the suit in a statement obtained by BBC. Uh, there's a quote that says, parents can receive playtime reports that track the amount of time their child plays each week and require parental permission before purchases are made, the company said. We plan to fight this in court. We believe the evidence will show that this case is meritless. So that was their position on it. Um, I don't know. When I was reading through bits of this article, my response was like, I don't know like how addictive video games are or are not because there are just so many types of video games. But my brain kind of went to something like, you know, TikTok. Like TikTok's addictive for me, where it's yeah. just like they know how to show me exactly what I want and I keep scrolling, keep scrolling. That's addictive. Yeah. And so, you know, it makes sense that like a video game could potentially have like similar properties. And I don't know what Fortnite, I, I, I don't play, do you play um, I no, I, I wish I did, or I wish I knew more about them. I think I went to a, a Mario party and I came in last. I kept going backwards. <laughs> I It's so bad. But I, TikTok, I am definitely addicted to. And the the person who invented the never-ending scroll, um, okay. he takes a lot of ownership for um, it being a bad idea. 
Because I know that that mm. used to help me stop scrolling Facebook and stuff. I'd be like, oh, just let me get to the end of the page and then I'll log off. But yeah. now there's no end. Right, 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 right. Yeah, it's, yeah, that never-ending scroll is really interesting. And, and the reason it made me think of TikTok was it's like, okay, well, here's something that I've experienced. And I'm like, this definitely has addictive properties in it, you know. And I can put it down now or I can delete the app now. But I was kind of thinking about like not too long in the future where it's like they get so good, a video game or an app or whatever, and they make it so like you can't put it down, you know, like that kind of. That kind of had me curious, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it, we're not too far away from that. It's a yeah, while. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll be interested to see how this lawsuit plays out, I guess. You know, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. Yes, because some people, when they get to, um, it's like a whole different type of literacy. And then you get rewarded mm-hmm. for knowing so much about the world. Um, mm-hmm. So that can be really cool but then also uh, where you should shower i don't know hot takes <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 that's true that's true we have one more headline for today uh this one's from axios.com uh by ned oliver and uh it's a story out of richmond the headline is richmond removes its last confederate monument and This is the last city-owned one. So the article from Axios goes on to say, workers in Richmond, Virginia, removed the last city-owned Confederate statue from its pedestal, and this was very recently. Uh, The moment marks the close of a two-year effort to remove memorials to the Confederacy in its formal capital. City and state leaders had long resisted calls to take down uh, Confederate iconography. But more recently, more of these have come down, especially... um, in the summer of 2020, amid widespread protests against police misconduct, uh, there were a lot more Confederate monuments uh, being taken down in the city. And uh, yeah, so it's, so it's interesting to see uh, this one finally come down. And, and I guess what struck me about this article was just like, even once people decide like, hey, this thing needs to go, it can still be a years long process to get these monuments removed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so much red tape when you would think they could just press a button and it could go away. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what that's what you that's what you would think. Um, and now I guess it's just kind of a question of, I guess, where the statue will go. So workers at the time of this article were still dismantling the pedestal. And this is a Confederate statue of uh, a confederate uh, general uh, ap hill and so his body is also a part it's like i guess his body is also inside the statue somewhere uh so it, it's somewhere i guess perhaps at the base i i, I don't know so no, that, that there, like, yeah yeah so there was a funeral a home was on hand to transfer his body for reburial at a cemetery in culpepper uh, and apparently this is the third time his remains have been, you know, reinterred. Uh, but there's been a legal challenge filed by some of Hill's relatives uh, that's still working its way through the courts, and they have opinions about where it should go. So a judge rejected initial efforts to stop the removal altogether. Uh, the family members are now pushing to relocate the statue of Hill to the same cemetery as his remains. So so we'll see. Uh, 
The family members say they oppose the city's plan to donate the statue to the Black History Museum and Cultural Center of Virginia, which took ownership of all the prior monuments that have been moved. Uh, and so John Hill, who is a, a relative of A.P. Hill, said it's his headstone. Um, it would be like anybody else's headstone with their family name on it. You don't want to see that come down. I would say it's not like anybody else's no. uh, family headstone. Mm -mm. You know, like this is a Confederate monument that clearly stands for a certain purpose, you know, and is meant to communicate a certain message. So, you know, I just don't think it's like this isn't your standard grandfather's headstone. No, you know? no, he can get the little oval, too. We can we can all get <laughs> yeah. the little oval and yeah, it'll be fine. You put a little picture on it if you really want to, John. Well, y'all, uh, glad to see uh, Richmond experiencing that form of progress. Hopefully it continues there and elsewhere, you know, as we try to rethink how we remember certain aspects of history. And uh, now seems like as good a time as any to move on to our spring of inspiring inspirations. So this is where we pull an inspiring quote uh, to send you off on a positive note. Uh, and this quote, since we were talking about improv comedy a little earlier, uh, this quote's from Lucille Ball. And it is, I'd rather regret the things I've done than regret the things I haven't done. And I felt that was similar to what we talked about earlier about embracing mistakes. And uh, if Lucille Ball says that that's a good thing to do, especially when it comes to comedy, I'm like, yeah, I'll listen to Lucille on that one. <laughs> so, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I love it. Well, Marietta. As always, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. You always bring me such joy whenever I get to see you, and recording with you is always such a treat. Uh, so how can listeners stay in touch with you, follow you, support you, uh, anything you want to say? You do. Thank you so much. Uh, this is my favorite podcast. Uh, my Instagram is just Marionetta, which is M-A-R-I-E-O-N-E-T-T-A. Uh, thank you so, so much again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and thank you, listeners. We, we realize you have a lot of options about what to listen to. So the fact that you would tune in just means so much. And we genuinely say thank you. You can stay in touch by emailing us at ridiculousnews at iheartmedia.com. And on Facebook and IG, be sure to follow Ridiculous News. And you can check out our comedy videos at Mark Kendall Comedy. Bye, y'all. Ridiculous News is hosted by Mark Kendall and Bill Worley. Executive producers are Ben Bolin and Noel Brown. Produced and edited by Tari Harrison. Research provided by Casey Willis. And theme music by Four Eyes and Dr. Delight. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Yeah. Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly-veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother, Jonah. And we are so excited to have you hear the latest season of our nostalgia-themed podcast, 
How Did We Get Weird? Not only do you get to know me and my brother, you get to know the stories that made us the absolutely rad people we are today. Like you, Jonah, who's a music person and also a mental health counselor. And you, Vanessa, who is an actress, comedian, and I think you even wrote a children's book. Wow. I sure did. Check out our episodes where we've welcomed hilarious guests like our friend Andy Samberg. That's it. That's really it. And Queen Casey Wilson. I really went cart before the horse. I said, I think I have an opportunity to interview Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> As a high school student. Plus legendary sisters Amber Ruffin and Lacey Lamar. You would pull the bag out and then we would eat okay. the eat all the leftover the leftover chocolate chips, which was a lot. Then you'd roll the barrel oh, up so to fun. up the hill. And then one of us would get inside the barrel and they'd push you down. And we've also had an amazing guest like Mike the Miz, Jason Isbell, Carrie Brownstein and Corin Tucker of Slater Kinney, and many more. And you do not want to miss out on our funny segments like Change.Dork. <laughs> Change.Dork. And congratulations, you played yourself. Congratulations, you played yourself. Listen to our podcast, How Did We Get Weird, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Professional dancer Cheryl Burke has been part of Dancing with the Stars since the very beginning. 26 seasons of The Samba, The Rumba, and The Cha-Cha. 24 partners, 6 finals, and 2 Mirabal trophies. She knows all the secrets, the behind-the-scenes arguments, and the affairs, the flings, the flirting, and the fighting. Listen to Sex, Lies, and Spray Tans on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.